And I remember kind of closing the windows, it's probably 10.30 at night, just kind of looking at this thing, this, this truck, this vehicle that had just produced about six or $7,000 in sales that night, thinking, hey, we've got something here. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learned how they navigated their way back. If all great changes are preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Welcome to the Day That Changed Everything podcast series. I'm Renee Cordes with Maine Biz, speaking today with Jim Salikas, co-founder of Cousins Maine Lobster. He's here to share the fascinating story about the day that changed everything for Cousins Maine Lobster and what set you on the path to business success. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Great. So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up, where you went to school, and what your initial career path was? I grew up in Maine and lived in Cape Elizabeth all of my life. But, you know, Maine was an amazing place. It still is. Uh, It's the way life should be for a reason. And it was really a positive impact on on my childhood and upbringing. And went to school at Cape, and then I ended up in Worcester, Massachusetts for college at Holy Cross where I played Division One college men's ice hockey, which was always my goal and dream. Then I was also a political science major. And from there, I didn't end up playing professional hockey. That was the real goal. <laughs> um, but I, I ended up moving to Boston. That was in 2008 when I graduated. I lived there for about five or six years. And at that time, my career, my profession right out of college was uh, working for a medical device company called Strike Orthopedics, which was a phenomenal career. I loved it, I loved everything about it. It was interesting, it was engaging. It was a really fun five or six years in Boston, and uh, in 2011, Cousins Maine Lobster was starting to happen. So that's kind of the uh, childhood snapshot in Maine and then uh, post-college in Boston. And tell us then about why you decided to go from Maine to California all those years ago. Boy, your guess is as good as mine. Um, (laughs) The way that happened was, like I said, I was living in the North End in Boston. All of my uh, college hockey buddies were still living in Boston, and my folks and family were in Maine. So it was literally the most ideal setup with the security of a nice job, uh, the beauty and, and amazing city that Boston is, and of course, you know, friends and family. But in 2011, I actually went to Los Angeles to visit my cousin Sabin. Uh, so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to LA. I'll see you for a little bit. Spent four or five days together, just kind of ultimately catch up. And what we found was that, you know, you just kind of re-engage and, and have that, uh, the whole reminiscing of, childhood of our family times of of Maine itself and what that's all about about your crazy family that everyone has <laughs> um, you know we started we just had the same personality the same work ethic we had humor and fun together and we kind of were sitting there just kind of finding a groove and one night we went out to dinner we went to sushi dinner on Sunset Boulevard and you know of course this is glitz and glamour to me you know this is LA you're on Sunset and it 
you know, it was beautiful in February or whenever, you know, the winter months, it was really nice and warm. And we just got to talking and we got to drinking and we had one too many drinks. And as everyone says, you know, that's when the, uh, the crazy ideas happen or the creativity comes. Um, <laughs> and truly, we just kind of went into a rabbit hole of reminiscing about those times in Maine with our grandparents, uh, our cousins, our, our parents, obviously, and siblings. And that's really what was most important, where we found the most joy growing up was always around each other's families um, together. Everything that was surrounded, those, those family uh, backyard picnics, the pool parties, the summertime gatherings, even the holidays. I remember Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was always lobster. For people in Maine, that makes sense. But for people outside of Maine, it makes no sense. Like, what do you mean? You had lobster on the side at Thanksgiving or Christmas? So we just kind of started thinking about the two things that are most important to us uh, was the family times and that there was always this presence of lobster, lobster mac and cheese, lobster pot pie, lobster rolls, live lobsters, steamed lobsters. One drink led to another and we said, hey, what happens if we uh, brought that lobster we were privy to growing up as kids out to the West Coast? We hadn't seen anything, Saban specifically, hadn't seen the quality of lobster we grew up with, hadn't seen the accessibility to it here. So we didn't know which way we might get it to the masses or if this was even a good idea, but woke up the next day with some headaches and we never let the dream kind of die. We never let the, the idea, the conversation was always kind of around. I ended up going back to Boston a week later, but we kind of, we just kept talking to each other and I was doing Excel sheets on the East coast and he was kind of doing some research out here. Is it a food truck? Is it a restaurant? I was looking at supply chain before you know it, we spent the next 12 months developing the potential idea of cousins Maine lobster. So a year later, it hatched and I moved out to LA and that's how I left the East Coast. So before we talk more about how you started the business, just a brief snapshot. What is Cousins Maine Lobster? What do you guys do? Yeah. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, Cousins Maine Lobster is is just that. It's uh, two cousins. It's a family business serving Maine Lobster. And we started by serving out of one food truck in Los Angeles. But to us, we were ultimately bringing and recreating our childhood. That was the goal. Whether you want to talk about the product being phenomenal, best lobster in the world, you want to talk about smiling and happiness and creating that kind of happy experience through food. That was our intent with one food truck. You know, since then it's certainly grown that I'm happy to get into here in, in a little bit. But really we just tried to provide the best service and kind of bring that down east main hospitality, create happiness and provide people a quality of lobster that we had grown up. You started with one food truck, as you said. I think you started it with $20,000 and one yeah. truck. So how did you get it off the ground? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I still remember being in Boston when I was trying to get lending for the for the truck, the financing. You know, Saban and I each had $20,000 we had saved that we looked to put into this business. We ended up choosing a food truck because lower overhead, the mobility of it at the time seemed like it would have a lot of upside. You know, that was in 2011. And ultimately, the food truck industry in Los Angeles was really starting to go like this. You didn't see it in too many other cities at the time. People didn't know if it was a fad, if it was here to stay, but we said that's what we want to try. So the time so, was right? Yeah, the time was absolutely right. I mean, it was, you know, you, we thought that we were getting in on the beginning of this. We thought that we could differentiate ourselves with the product, the class of product, the class of service, and what we would bring in terms of customer service and, and overall experience. So yeah, I was I was calling uh, lenders from Boston and it's very hard to get money for a business that has no history, you have no experience, you've never done this before and it's just an idea. 
And that's all it was at the time. So I was rejected and rejected and rejected by bank after bank after bank until finally one said they'd take a fly or they'd take a chance on us. So we put down 20 grand each, got the, the remaining financing for the first food truck. And that very first food truck launched on April 27th of 2012. Kind of, you know, at this point, we haven't looked back, but that was the idea of, of getting in and getting it off the ground, uh, as you said. It must have been a scary thing because this was brand new for both of you. What was the night before, like April 26, 2012? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, even even before April 26, it was even more kind of terror haunting you. And, and not terror, just like the unknown. It's it's taking the leap, which I think so many entrepreneurs can never do. They just don't. They, they have an idea that we're going to do this, but ultimately they never take the plunge. And that's okay. But until you do, you know, there's not even a chance to sink or swim. You're just going to kind of stay stagnant. And so that to us was when I knew, when I put in, I remember in the fall, I put in my resignation letter to a job that I loved, that was secure, that I made a pretty good living on. And I had my friends and family around me. That was the biggest moment. I'm like, oh my God, when you press send, like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm leaving this to go start a food truck that may or may not work. Um, so leading up to it, obviously, it was that unknown. But when you put that on yourself, you know, there's there's no one, as we always say, there's no one I'd rather do this with than myself and save it. Those are people that I believe and, and trust in that if it's going to work, we're going to do it. And that's not an egotistical thing. That's just saying it's on my shoulders, so it's up to us to fail or succeed. So we put everything into it that we could. And, and to your point, on April 26, all kinds of emotions, excitement, hustle, things that we certainly weren't ready for, uh, <laughs> that we were still trying to scrambling around to get for the next day. And that anticipation of, hey, how is this turnout going to be? What is the reception going to be? What's the feedback going to be? That's the greatest unknown. Uh, what are people going to think of the food? How's the truck going to look? Are people going to be here and are they going to come back? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Didn't sleep. It's kind of like probably a you know ten year old um, before Christmas. Uh, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it turned out great the next day. And so tell, tell us about different. the next day. How did how did that go? Yeah. So when I say great, uh, there were certainly some things that could have been better, but we drove to, I remember driving on the 405, which for those that don't know is a six lane highway in Los Angeles. It's always backed up. And I remember driving our own personal car behind the food truck and we had our logo, which was the state of Maine with the lobster in it, Cousins Maine Lobster. I remember thinking 3000 miles away from where we grew up, like what a cool feeling to be seeing something that we created that's been built and is driving down a major highway in a major city representing our state of Maine, where we're from, and our family. And all the lobster came from Maine, of course, right? Of course, yeah, and all the lobster came from Maine. So that was the fun part. The bad part was that we showed up about 45 minutes late with traffic. We had a line of about 75 people waiting at the time. We had 10 employees on the food truck, which is crazy because none of them had trained. None of them had even butter and toasted a bun. We were so <laughs> far behind on getting the delivery of the truck that we really didn't have time to train. We ended up going there without a register. We didn't even have a register to exchange money with a customer, like things that you just don't even think of. But fast forward five or six hours, you know, Saban and I were out speaking to customers all day long. It went phenomenally well. The customers were, were amazing. You had how many um, customers that first day? We did about 250 customers that night, but we had, when we opened, about 75 people in line and the food truck wasn't even <laughs> open yet. So we opened 35, 40 minutes late. We worked through it somehow. And I remember kind of closing the windows. It was probably 1030 at night, just kind of looking at this thing, this, this truck, this vehicle that had just produced about six or $7,000 in sales that night, thinking, hey, we've got something here. Don't know what it will look like in a year or two years or three years, and hopefully we can get there, but it has some legs to it. And those first few months, you were, you were pretty busy. It was pretty crazy, right? So how yeah. did that initial period go? 
Yeah, we would go out probably five or six days, you know, a week, uh, lunches, dinners, full day events on the weekends, you know, which was kind of popular in LA at the time. But yeah, we were doing, you know, $70,000, $85,000 a month in sales, which to us as two guys starting a business was was really phenomenal. And uh, really, when we got home the night of our very first uh, service, we came home, cash in our hands. We didn't even have a bank account set up. We, you know, had it on Saban's apartment coffee table. Uh, <laughs> And we opened our emails and had phone calls and emails from uh, casting producers at ABC Shark Tank. So Saban wasn't really familiar with what the show was. I was, you know, somewhat familiar with it. And really over the next two to three weeks, we started our conversations with Shark Tank. You know, they basically reach out to 40 or 50 groups a year. You got that first call from Shark Tank when? First call came on the very first night of service, April 27th. How did they hear about you? You know what? We put out a small little tweet. We only had a couple hundred followers on Twitter. A picture of Saban, myself, and our grandfather on the rocks in Maine with some lobster, you know, at the ocean out of two lights. And uh, we basically just said, hey, come check out our lobster um, here at our food truck. Um, and the, the casting producers had seen that. They actually had our food that night. You know, unbeknownst to us, we didn't know. They were just kind of following us. You know, little things happen and they add up. And so that led to them being there, led to them calling and emailing. Uh, led to them reaching out to basically asking if we'd have interest in being on the show. And what was um, your response then? Well, yeah, surprisingly, we actually, on the first uh, first invite to the show, if you will, we said no. Too soon? To, yeah, I mean, well, at that point, we had one, you know, three <laughs> or four days of business when we started talking. Yeah, too soon. Unknown. We didn't have any history. Clearly, a lot of that show was built on business history, sales, and, you know, how you're projecting going forward. Hard to do those projections without any proof in the pudding. What, what made you finally say yes? What was going through your minds when you said, yes, we'll do the show? Again, probably as guys from Maine, like you're not, you're not looking for uh, media or publicity or ultimately. It found of, you. Yeah. You kind of, yeah. We're just kind of trying to work and, and hustle and boots on the ground and make sure that we do the right things for the business. Not, not try and go get on the news or get this or that. We were trying to make sure the service was a 10 and the food was a 10 and that the truck bookings and scheduling was a 10 and that we were getting around running a business. Because if you don't have the foundation, clearly what do you have to stand on? However, um, they did find us and they were persistent. And so we kind of started thinking through conversations like, okay, well, they've never had a food truck on the show. They spoke of our story and, and really kind of that authenticity and that connection, obviously, to Maine that we had, which would show, show a little bit of a different kind of side to viewers. And at the end of the day, Shark Tank was a platform to share our business. It does not make you an overnight success, does not make you a millionaire. Everyone thinks these reality shows do that overnight. Oftentimes, it's the opposite, puts a target on your back. But it was a platform to share our story and our business with 9 million people. So we kind of said, well, listen, let's do it. And so we prepared and prepared and prepared. And I can get into that. Uh, but finally, when we when we went into Shark Tank, we shot it for a little more than an hour, like I said, came out with a deal with Barbara Corcoran, and we got to show 9 million people throughout the world uh, what Maine is all about, why we believe so strongly in our product, how we're going to get this food to people, who we are as guys, and why you might love to try our business for your customer or kind of join the fun. Can you share a little bit about how you prepared for the show? I know you you studied for it like it was the exam of your lives, right? Yeah, 100% we did. And I think that's probably missed on a lot of people is that you think if somebody wants you or if someone invites you here that it's just you just show up and whether it's an interview or a test or an exam or a business opportunity, 
we wholeheartedly believe preparation's, you know, one of the biggest things. So, you know, specifically, I remember we kind of rehearsed that minute and a half pitch when you first go out on Shark Tank. This is our business. This is what we're looking for. It's our valuation, you know, so that the sharks understand what your business is. So we would be running in LA, getting the heart rate up, and we'd start breathing heavily, and we'd be going back and forth. Saban would say his part, I'd say my part. Back and forth, back and forth. You get the sirens going on the streets. You get the dogs. You get your heart rate going. You're going up a hill. And it was that ultimate kind of trying to distract each other or work through those such conditions or the environment while staying calm, uh, eloquently presenting your your pitch and story. So that was one thing we did. Um, then we spent hours in front of the TV watching every single Shark Tank that we had aired at that point. I think it was like 50 Shark Tank episodes where we had the white index cards. Like we went back to middle school days. Question on one side, answer on the other. What questions does every shark ask? That's like the basic bare minimum that everyone should be doing. And it's amazing how many people don't do that. Like that's what you know you're walking into. We then researched every shark. You know, what they did as children, what their high school jobs were, their family, where they worked, what their struggles were. So ultimately we tried to prepare so that before they even asked the question, we would know the answer. Whether that was about our business, uh, or about Damon at one point said, well, I, do you know that I worked at Red Lobster? Yes, we did know that. You know, those are the type of things that we were ahead of so that we could have that conversation eloquently and calmly. And then the third thing we did that is sounds kind of weird is, you know, these might be from Saban's acting days, but we'd sit <laughs> in front of a mirror and we'd do our pitches back and forth. And we'd, I mean, we took cords and tried to wrap them around each other's head, hit each other with a pillow, whatever <laughs> was in the room. We took a lamp and hit people with it and each other with it and the gut or in the face but you just had to keep looking at the mirror like that wasn't happening to you and to me that was basically replicating what we thought we would experience when you get in there the lights are shining on you you got these potential intimidating investors in front of you 30 some odd cameras and that type of process really made us feel like we'd be comfortable when we got into shark tank and, and all of it uh, really went a long way to help us now tell us about the day of days what that hour of questioning was like. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, I will say this. I think that we've done a decent amount of shows since. I think Shark Tank still is the most real reality show uh, I've ever seen in that when you are a viewer and you watch people walk through those doors and they walk down, they take their mark. That's real. That's the first time you've seen the sharks. There is no uh, cut and editing and going back and re, you know, being able to kind of re-say what you wanted to say or fix this, fix that. You walk out there, you take your mark, you're 15 feet from them. Uh, they try and freeze you. You know, we kind of thought it'd just be like, get right into your to your piece. But instead you're looking at Mark Cuban, you're looking at Barbara and Robert <laughs> and Kevin. They're 15, 20 feet from you. And they just kind of try and freeze you in your steps, kind of to play with your head. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, someone from the background goes, go. I mean, you start your pitch. You know, there's pressure. But if you're prepared, like we say, we feel like we would be ready for anything that came our way. And our goal was to go in there and be calm and rational and professional. You see people get defensive. You see people not know answers. Like, and we just think it's the wrong approach. So uh, they actually said, Barbara told us after, uh, she's like, you know, the producers kind of were trying to get us to get you riled up, you know, get a little motion out of these guys because we just couldn't push your buttons. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think at that point, it kind of shows kind of who you'd be getting into bed with, with a partner, you know, what they hopefully would see in us. So yeah, there was pressure, but I think we were ready for it. And then I tell you what, at the end of the day, when you do a deal, even then we went in wanting Barbara, we got a deal. When you go outside and you're in the sun, still kind of go, well, what the hell just happened? 
you know, you just gave up part of your baby you know, three months into business. And that's not a comfortable thing for anybody, no matter any, with the unknown of how it's going to go. But it was a phenomenal experience, uh, one that we would never change. So tell us just briefly what the outcome was. Yeah, so the outcome was at minute 70 or whatever it may be, we ended up having two offers on the table. Robert uh, Hershebeck actually offered us more. I think it was 125000 for 25%. Barbara offered us 55000 for the 15% finally is where it ended up getting to. And I actually asked them both. I said, well, listen, you know, if you, you know, be part of Cousins Main Lobster, what might you kind of do to, to work with and help the business? And basically Robert told me to go screw, you know, he says, I don't need to prove anything to you. I'm sitting here, you're over there, which is true. But it was kind of um, insightful to see where he stood on the top. Whereas Barbara with the same question was like, boom, let me tell you what I would do. I get my hands all over your business. I change your graphics on your truck. I do this. I'm a marketing queen. I get uh, our branded packaging to look like this. I get us out in the streets and make sure that we're more accessible. X, Y, and Z. That to me showed exactly kind of what we thought. That, like there, there's humility there. There is no ego. And that she knows that the better she can make our business, the more money she would make and that it was kind of that partnership. So really refreshing to actually hear that. So we closed on a deal with Barbara, uh, 55,000 for 15%. Um, and she has been uh, our partner ever since. And when you did the deal with Barbara, what, what was going through your head at that time? You said welcome to the family. Did it feel like you were welcoming someone to the Cousins yeah. and Lobster family? Yeah, I mean, 100%. And we, didn't, we obviously didn't know how the family would evolve at the time. But I think if anything, what you can take from that, you know, we say family first. We have on the back of our T-shirts. I think we're very early adopters of that, that I like to believe we're the pioneers of that personally. But before we ever did that on our T-shirts, you can see that two months into business, we said, welcome to the family. And that's indicative of like what I said, that's how we grew up. That's what we cared about. It's, it's a core piece of our business now. And it was then. And I think a hundred percent Barbara has felt that way. We felt that way with her. It's a far more personal relationship. Now she was at my wedding. She spent a lot of time at my parents' house in Maine. Yeah. She joined the family. Great. Well, thanks very much. So we're going to take a very short break now. When we come back, we'll talk about what changed after this and how you guys came to work with Barbara. You've worked, you saved, and now it's time to enjoy what you've earned, your retirement. This is Kurt Garasha of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. We're more than just retirement advisors. We're family fiduciaries, promising to put you and your family's interest and goals first. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. We had an opportunity. You know, we, we got some nice branding and media out of it, and then it was really up to us to execute. Welcome back. We're just talking with Jim Salikas of Cousins Maine Lobster about Shark Tank and bringing in Barbara Corcoran as an investor. What, what did this mean for Cousins Maine Lobster? Yeah, you know, I think the, the short tank experience, the airing, the deal with Barbara, what it really presents is a, is a platform and an opportunity. It doesn't guarantee success. Like I said, it doesn't make you a millionaire um, and it doesn't even make your business survive. There are a lot of businesses that go on that show or any other show and you can't find them a week later, six weeks later, six months later, they're gone. And a lot of that is based on the foundation and, and the core of what the business is. So an investor shark could make a bad decision in a company. A company could have no longevity to it. But in our instance, I think we had a, a really nice business. I think we got stronger with a phenomenal marketing guru in Barb. 
I think we got to share our story to 9 million people. But that's like what we say is when the real work started, right? It was hard coming up with the idea. It was hard starting. Uh, it was hard making it tick and do sales. After Shark Tank, we had a target on our back. You just, like I said, you got 9 million people going, oh my God, I, I got to get to the truck or I see the truck. This was on Shark Tank. And over the course of the next few years, they were on the Today Show, they're in Good Morning America, saw them in Inc. Magazine, whatever it may be, which we're grateful for, some more of that little media buzz makes people come to you with a real heightened sense of expectation as it should. And so for us, even more imperative that we execute on every single facet, a clean truck, an amazing customer experience, the service and engagement and verbiage from our cashiers to the staff, education on product, the presentation of the food and the quality of the food, everything A to Z from when it starts to how they find us on Google or on our app, how easy that is to then find us and get to us, to the whole experience that exists while they're waiting in line, to when they receive their food, and of course, eating it, and then follow up. So that is where I found that we had an opportunity, we got some nice branding and media out of it, and then it was really up to us to execute. And I think that that's where a lot of companies can fall apart. But for us, we welcomed it, we loved it, it made us work even harder. Um, so that's really what the original kind of months and years were like post Shark Tank and Barbara was basically saying, make sure you got your stuff together and that this is a phenomenal business and experience because people are going to come and they're going to be ready to, excuse me, they're going to be ready to critique you. And we've got to make sure that those critiques or responses or feedback are as positive as they can be. So that's kind of what it was like, you know, shortly after and in the years to come. And what was it like initially going from two to now three owners? Was there an adjustment period? You know, surprisingly, there wasn't for me um, in the sense of there was another voice, but she said right out the gate, you know, I'm not, she's not a food truck owner. She doesn't own the main lobster industry, but she knows businesses. She knows branding. She knows marketing. So she's basically saying, I'm going to help you where I can. I'm gonna, I'll do X, Y, and Z for you, but I'm not going to get in your way. I'm not going to make... Uh, imperative decisions that really Jim and Sabin know best or other experts know best. And as a matter of fact, today, she always says, she's like, you know, I'm going to tell you guys what I think. I'm going to tell you to do this. And you're probably going to go tell me to go screw and that you're not doing that anyways. And she's like, that's usually signs of some of her best entrepreneurs. So it didn't make it harder. In fact, if anything, it made it feel like, you know, there was more power behind this. There was more, there was another really clearly smart, experienced, uh, phenomenal resume that we had. Um, and it was for us just how are we going to tap into Barbara to maximize what she could bring to the business in the right ways. And what did she bring to the business? Two pieces, from the outward facing to the customer, if you will, the, the marketing schemes, the opportunity to share our story on other platforms, to make sure that we were known when we'd start in new cities, um, to make sure that the look and feel and experience of the truck was something that customers would all value and appreciate and want to support and get onto. You know, that, that family aspect, the, the sourcing and quality, the snapshot you want to show customers, the marketability of our truck outward facing and our business was something she, she certainly helped uh, refine and improve. And then internally, you just can't put a value to what someone with 60 some odd years of business experience knows where we would make mistakes as new owners, new entrepreneurs, new, you know, hopefully guys that are starting a good business we'd make mistakes and rather, and, and we still do and we learn from them, but she can mitigate some of those mistakes. She can sit there and say, this happened to me 30 years ago. This is what it was like when I was hiring or when I was firing or when I was growing and scaling. 
here are the pitfalls to avoid. And those type of things, I think, really kind of kept us focused. You know, she always tells us, she's like, not every opportunity is the good opportunity. So when you come off Shark Tank, things just come at you, right? It's 15 different shipping companies that want your business. They want us at the Grammys and the Academy Awards. And they want you to go here. And they want... Some of those things aren't paid events. And they're not for A-list celebrities. They're for C-list celebrities. So the word may never even get out anyways that you're there. So rather than <laughs> your focus and just going down these little rabbit holes, you know, focusing on what you had, which for us was a food truck, serving customers. Those type of lessons, I think, keep you on the rails. Um, and, and that was the internal experience she's helped us with. And then at what point did you decide to grow beyond the one food truck? Can you talk about your, your growth uh, journey? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so in the first two years, uh, we ended up growing from one truck to four corporately, three or four. Four might have been on year three. But Barbara came to us, you know, this is a big aspect of the business, obviously, she helped with in 2014 and said, well, what do you guys think about franchising? We had no idea what franchising really meant. I knew McDonald's was a franchise, but I didn't know really what that meant. You know, so we started doing some research, but ultimately she brought the idea or the, or the concept of potentially franchising and scaling our business. You know, we were seeing all kinds of requests coming in on the phone and on email saying, bring your truck here, bring your truck here, like from different states. You were still just in California at that point, right? Well, just in California with three corporate trucks. But Barbara saw the opportunity to scale the business. So, well, if a food truck works here, why can't it work in, in Tennessee? Why can't it work in Columbus, in Raleigh, in Florida, whatever? Any city, any state, why can't it work? That was the idea of franchising. So we spent about a year working with Barb and contacts of hers, setting up the idea of, of this business to franchise. We launched at the very end of 2014, and we had about 2,000 requests right out the gate for franchising. Uh, in large part to some marketing that she was able to bring and allow for us. Uh, we only sold 10 over the course, course of those six months. We said, well, let's keep it some Manageable. smart. Yeah, exactly. Learn what we don't know from those. Uh, learn what works well and what doesn't. And long story short, over the last five or six years, uh, we have grown to 38 food trucks throughout the country. And in 2017, we started franchising our little small square footage restaurants and we have 11 of those throughout the country as well. So you're in how many states now? We are in 18 states and we have yeah, those 38 food trucks, a couple more coming and, and 10 restaurants. So including in uh, Maine, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Cape Elizabeth. We're, we're home in Maine. Yep, exactly. A little bit different this summer with COVID and maybe the tourism isn't certainly where it needs to be. But uh, but yeah, we've been in Maine and yeah, all the markets have been doing phenomenally well. And it's, it's really exciting to watch. And how, where's the business at today in terms of sales and employees? Yep. So employees, were, uh, if you look at the entire franchise system, we're right in the middle 300s, you know, 350, 360 employees system-wide. And sales, you know, we're on pace for between uh, 45 and $50 million. And how are you and Sabin doing this year? California's had a tough time during the pandemic. So how are you guys doing personally? I tell you what, I wish I was in Maine right now. I just haven't been able to travel there, but it's, we're, we're doing well. I mean, it's, we're grateful for where we're at. We're thankful for right now, everybody in and around our families being, being healthy and being safe. And, you know, we've had to pivot a little bit with the business, but everyone has. And so that's for us, things that we focus on to make sure that our franchisees are successful, um, that we can get to our customer base and that they can feel secure and happy and, and uh, comfortable coming to Cousins Maine Lobster. 
and we've had, uh, you know, you got to stay positive and enjoy the ride. Great stuff. After a short break, we'll wrap up with lessons you learned and any advice that you may have for other entrepreneurs. Remember why you went into business? You can say to fulfill a dream or change the world, but I'll bet the real reason you went into business was to make money. So how are you doing? And would you like to do better? Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications has been helping main businesses better do what they were built to do, make money by reaching audiences, catching eyes and ears, and helping them make the sale. Worth a phone call? Find Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications online at sutherlandweston.com. So I think that if you're fearless and you go into believing in yourself, it'll allow you to take the plunge to go all in. And then once you're there, you know, you fight through it and you make it what it can be because it's on your shoulders and yours only. Welcome back. We're talking to Jim Salikas from Cousins Maine Lobster and the Shark Tank experience and partnering with one of the sharks, uh, Barbara Corcoran. Jim, what would you say was the most important lesson you learned from this whole experience? If you can boil it down to, to one or two things of being on the show and getting a new business partner. I've got three that I always like to refer to. Number one uh, for me is 100% preparation. You know, my high school hockey coach used to tell me, if you're prepared, you have nothing to worry about. And it sounds cheesy, but it's very real. And it, and to me, it, it it works in every facet that you could think of, whether you're a high school or college kid getting ready for an exam, whether you're getting ready for an interview, whether it's a new business opportunity and for us, whether it's working with a new franchisee new candidates or, you know, conversations we have, I think preparation, especially obviously with Shark Tank, taught us that if you do the work up front and you're prepared, you give yourself the best chance for, su- for success, uh, hands down. It may not always work out, but you give yourself the best shot. Number two, I think we've learned to be fearless. Something Barbara certainly talked about is that um, I think that's an oftentimes the difference between, um, like I said earlier, entrepreneurs or those that take the leap or don't. A lot of people have great ideas. A lot of people come up to us at the truck, like, oh my God, we saw you guys on Shark Tank. This is so cool. I was going to do this too. You know, and it's not about a food truck. It could be I was going to sell pencils or I was going to create this business. But the difference is they didn't. So I think that if you're fearless and you go into believing in yourself, it'll allow you to take the plunge to go all in. And then once you're there, you know, you fight through it and you make it what it can be because it's on your shoulders and yours only. And the third thing I would say, I think it's super important for anyone, young entrepreneur, older entrepreneur, anyone in life. I think having humility is is really important because, you know, when we started, we didn't know anything. We didn't go to get our master's. We didn't get, I didn't go to business school. We got thrown into it. And we I think had enough humility to know that we didn't know about insurance, about hiring and firing. We didn't even know what a profit and loss was. We didn't know what franchising was. We knew Maine, we knew Lobster, we knew what we want the customer service to be like. We knew how we wanted to interact with customers and the quality of the food and how it should look. There's so much stuff we didn't know. And so we just asked a million questions because we had enough humility to say, I don't know this. What does that mean? Please tell me, please help me. And we'd find those experts and they would start teaching us. And then we'd start learning and hopefully developing that for ourselves. So I'd say, you know, never come across like you've got too much of an ego or that you're unwilling to learn things because I think you put yourself at a disadvantage. So those would be my three. Great stuff. And where does Cousins Maine Lobster go from here? More expansion? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're, we're having fun with what we're doing. It's a challenge. It's fun. We're growing our family, ultimately. And I think we will continue to grow. We have a few new cities that will be uh, opening this fall. And that's the exciting stuff for us. We love seeing customer feedback saying, thank you so much for coming here. Or why aren't you here? And adding to our family with really amazing franchisees is just, uh, like I said, family members. It's it's cool. We're, we're creating a bigger family and hopefully it's a little bit of a movement that customers can feel good about supporting this small business. And we appreciate all that love and hopefully there's more of that to come. A lobster movement. I love it. So I think that's a good note to end on. So thanks a lot, Jim, for taking the time and sharing your story and signing off for Main Biz. This is Renee Cordes. This has been a production of Main Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Main Biz Media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. The Main Biz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Maureen Milliken, Allison Nason, Andrea Tetzlaff, and Donna Broussard. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. The Main Biz podcast team also thanks Peter Van Allen, Betsy Vanderplug, Ken Hansen for their contributions. Subscribe to the Main Biz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2020.